All right, all right. Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 5. We began a short series last week uh, dealing with the uh, idea of the things that Christ said when there may be a contradictory statement, when there may be another view about on a matter, when somebody might have said this or that. There is several places in the Scripture where the Scriptures say, but I say. And uh, drawn to that phrase one day in my personal devotions, I began to look at the places in the Word of God where it very clearly says, uh, you've heard it said, but I say, but I say this. And we want to look at things from the perspective of the Lord Jesus Christ and what the Bible says. The world might have an opinion. Uh, family or friends might have something that they would say about it one way or the other. Uh, different people today certainly have uh, what they might feel on any given situation, but our goal as uh, Christians to be Christ-like and desire to please our Lord and Savior, we should want to see what Christ says. So we see in our text this evening, Matthew chapter 5, looking at verse number 27 through verse number 30, he says, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, that thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. In today's world, in modern society, we deal very flippantly with this, inter, uh, this relationship that should be very special. A relationship and an activity that should be held and kept inside the bounds of marriage. The world and society uh, in our modern uh, casual hookup mentality that people have today, uh, this, uh, and I, I don't want to be rude there's, or crude, there's not any other way to uh, deal with it, uh, but the fact of the matter is, is uh, when you're dealing with sex, it's this world today just looks very flippantly at it. They, they, there's no sacredness there. There's nothing special about it. They want to reduce man to nothing but a human being, a, a animal like the animal world. According to science.org, in a recent poll that was done, they said 54% of Americans say that the state of moral values in our country is poor. I'm shocked uh, that there's 54%. Um, in... in there's no question that the moral state and the moral values of our, of our nation as a whole is very poor. They went on to say that 83% believe that the morals of our country are on a decline. That's more in line with what I believe to be true, and it's definitely we're on a decline. According to Time Magazine, listen, listen to this article. Sexual morality that was once fixed in our country is now relative. It is a matter of individual interpretation. Sex is no longer a source of consternation, but of celebration. Its presence is not what makes a person morally suspect, but rather its absence. Now, were you able to follow that last phrase? They're saying 
that what makes you morally suspect, what calls your morality into question, is not the presence of sexual activity in your life. It is the absence of sexual activity. That's what they're saying. Well, let me shock you. That article was written in 1964. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find an article like that in Time Magazine today. The situation in our country has continued to digress. A 32-year-old worker from uh, a call center in London said this regarding sexual activity. Nothing should be seen as alien. Nothing should be looked down upon, and nothing should be seen as wrong. But I want you to tell you, but I want to tell you tonight that Christ said, but I say unto you, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery in her heart and is already. Christ doesn't mince his words. People in this world might have an opinion and the morality of our nation and the stand of most people today uh, may want to look at it as just very casual, a very natural thing, that there's nothing special about it. But I want you to know, Christ said, but I say. But I say. First of all, would you consider what the Lord had to say on the matter in the expression of this sinful adultery? Adultery has always been understood to be wrong. There is no question about that. It is something that from the beginning of time until now, it's something that has believed to be wrong. In 1623, the Baker and Lucas Publishing Company printed a Bible that became known as the Wicked Bible. That is because they accidentally omitted the word not from the seventh commandment. You know, the seventh commandment is thou shalt not commit adultery. They accidentally omitted the word not, and it said, thou shalt commit adultery. And it became known as the Wicked Bible, and they did their best. Every, the company had to pay huge fines for printing that Bible. And everyone was, every Bible was recalled and subsequently destroyed. Why would men everywhere and over all the ages of time believe that adultery is wrong? Because, beloved, it's written on the heart of man. The law of God is present in the heart of man, and man has to deny, put down, squash, and reject what they know in their heart to be right in order to partake in what this world wants to call just casual hookups. The world might try and rewrite the laws of God so that every man can do that which is right in his own eyes. They've come to the place where they call it an illness of mind or body. They call it a being freed from the shackles of religion. They say it is only a natural activity, bringing man to the condition of no different than a dog. But God says it's sin. God says it's sin. Let me give you some Bible on the matter. God forbids it in Exodus 20, 14. He says, thou shalt not commit adultery. There is no question there. You guys know how to remember the seventh commandment. You take seven, 
and these two are together and they lay down in the bed. That's number seven. That's how you can remember that. The seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. God forbids it. God takes it very seriously. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse number 10, he says, The man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. God takes it very seriously. In Hebrews 13, 4, it says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, what does it say? Do you know? God will judge. God will judge. Not only does God forbid it and does God take it seriously, but the Bible tells us that it destroys man. Proverbs 6.32 says, But whosoever committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. There is something that takes place in your heart. There's something in your life that it slowly destroys your soul. And ultimately, uh, somebody that's given to that, an unrepentant heart, an unsaved, unregenerated heart, the, the Bible is clear that you, you, you will ultimately just destroy your soul, end up in hell because you have not repented. And we know that according to the scriptures that once you're saved, you're always saved. And I believe you're not going to lose that. So that's not what I'm saying. You're going to lose your salvation because you did this. But what he's talking about an unrepentant heart that continues that way won't come to Christ for repentance. Won't repent, won't, won't come and get salvation and forgiveness of their sin because they've continued to pursue after that. It destroys man. It defiles the man. Matthew 9, 5, sorry, 15, verse number 19. He's for out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, blasphemies. Verse number 20 says, these are the things which defile a man. It defiles you. The world wants to say it doesn't matter. The world wants to say it doesn't make any difference. And, and you, can, you can do it and be okay, but it's going to lead to your own destruction. It's going to lead to your own defilement. We know that men love darkness rather than light. Why? Their deeds are evil. Well, this is something that the Bible states takes place in darkness because men know in their heart that it's wrong. In Job chapter 24, verse number 15, he said, The eye also of the adulterer waiteth for the twilight. The eye of the adulterer waiteth for the twilight. They wait for that opportunity when they can sneak away, when they won't be seen, when they won't uh, get caught. Not only is it done in the dark, but it dismantles society. Jeremiah 23, verse number 10 says, For the land is full of adulterers. For because of swearing, the land mourneth. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. You see, it destroys society. It dismantles nations. The downfall of many nations has come because of the moral depravity of man. You can look at bygone great nations or that great in the eyes of the world like Greece and Rome and Egypt these places that at one time were controlling the known world and they are no more. Why? Because of their moral depravity. Jeremiah 23, 14 says, I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. 
Friend, this is not something that's just in the world. The fact of the matter is, is me here preaching this tonight is, is not going to change the world. This is something we're preaching for the church. He says here that there are prophets that are doing this in Jeremiah 23, 14. And can I tell you, there's entirely too many men of God who stand in pulpits. Seems every few months you hear about somebody else. They claim the name of Christ and they're being used of God to impact and influence lives and they walk away from it all for the pleasure of sin for a season. They destroy their family. There's pastors and assistant pastors and youth pastors and Sunday school teachers and church workers who say they love God and he's most important, but they give place to the devil and Satan gets in. And I want you to understand, but for the grace of God and his, his goodness, any one of us could be there. But him that thinketh he standeth, take heed. This is a warning for us all tonight to guard our eyes and to guard our hearts and to be sure that uh, we're, we're looking and thinking and, and pondering the right things. In our sexually driven society, it is, it is ever har- increasingly harder and harder to have a pure mind. So tonight the warning is, the caution is that this indeed is a sin and we need to remember that because we could stand up and say, well, I'm not guilty of adultery. But he says, if you think in your heart, you've committed adultery already in your heart. This is where we see the equality of the sensual appetites of men. He says in verse number 28, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her committeth adultery with her already in his heart. The fact of the matter is, as we ponder and think about men of God or people you might have looked up to that uh, are, are found out having committed adultery and gone down that path and lost their family and lost their ministry and lost these things, I want you to know that it's because a long time before they ever committed the act, they had an appetite in their heart that they didn't look at as sin and repent and get it right with God. If they would have stopped when the appetite was first present and they would have said, Oh, Lord, forgive me, the wretched man that I am. Keep my mind pure and my heart right. May I never go down that path. They wouldn't have ended up over here where they got caught in adultery. We need to get back to what the Bible says. We need to stop justifying and explaining away and thinking, Oh, I'm okay. I haven't committed the act. Nobody knows what I'm pondering or thinking. Nobody sees what I'm desirous of. And so I'm okay still. But if the Holy Spirit could drive down into our hearts and let us see uh, what it is that we're committing a sin against thee and thee only have I sinned. I don't know if it's just because the world is so small today because of the advent of the internet. We have fast connections to everybody and every person around the country and everybody knows everybody else's business. 
But it seems like there's just more and more and more and more people, men, women, that were godly, that have walked away from their families and from their church and from their ministries, from their loved ones, for this sin of adultery. He says here, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her. You see, beloved, the sin is found in the purpose of the look. The looking here is not a casual glance, but it's an intent to stare for the purpose of lust. It is an intense stare for the purpose to lust. You see, beloved, it's possible for a man to see a woman and know that she's beautiful. To in his heart and mind or be able to acknowledge that that is a very beautiful woman, but not be looking with the intent to lust. It's, a pot, it's possible to be aware of that. It's, it's okay or possible for a man to be observant of the truth of the fact without being obsessed with it. You see, you can see without sin. But what is the purpose of your looking? The sin comes when the purpose for your looking is to feed the sensual appetite. That is the sin. To build up or to feed that appetite that's present. To look is to lust. Like David did when he was on the rooftop in 2 Samuel chapter number 11. The Bible says he saw a woman washing herself. And you know the story. Beloved, Jesus is not giving one an excuse to go ahead and participate in the deed because the desire is present. No, he's warning you as to where the desire will take you if it's not confessed and forsaken. The sin comes when you're feeding an uncontrolled passion. James chapter 1, verses 13 and 15 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted, what does the Bible say, do you know it, when he is drawn away and enticed of his own lust. That own appetite, our own appetite, our own desire, those things are present to lust is to have an intense desire for, to covet that which is forbidden. All desire is not wrong. Desire is in the heart of man. Desire is okay. But when you're lusting after or desires of something that's forbidden, that's when it's sin. And beloved, lest ye ladies think you've escaped tonight, and we're just talking to the men, let me remind you, of the story of Potiphar's wife. The Bible says in Genesis 39, verse number 7, that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. She had been standing back and looking with an intent to lust after Joseph, Day after day after day as she watched him there working around the house and doing his task and fulfilling his duties to the point where she got bold enough to say, will you come and lie with me? Lest you think you're beyond it. And we know men are, are more prevalently drawn to uh, the attraction from the eyes. But I want you to know, ladies, you're not, uh, you haven't escaped this. This is something that can take your heart too. 
It can grab a hold of you, and if it's not, un, if it's not checked or brought in, you, you will find yourself in a place where you're spending time with somebody you shouldn't be spending time with, where you're desirous of a relationship that you shouldn't be desirous of. You're pondering and thinking about things that you shouldn't be thinking of. This leads to sin, and sin leads to death. We know Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. As I pondered and thought about this, I'm not, I, I, I wish I was a little bit deeper thinker with regards to evaluating this because I'm, I'm, I'm not positive that the, the desire and the deed are identical. He says, if you look at her to lust, you have committed adultery already in your heart. Those of you that are men, you understand that to be true, but you haven't committed the deed yet. I think the warning and the caution is, is to stop before you ever do commit the deed. I don't know if you could consider it this way, maybe. But spiritually, they both lead to the same place. Death. Lust, when it hath conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So there is that warning there that spiritually, ultimately, they end up in the same place. Ultimately, they will bring you down the same road. The radio personality, Paul Harvey, in his extreme eloquence, tells of how the Eskimo will deal with the wolf that they're having a hard time catching. The Eskimo takes his extremely sharp knife and he dips it into blood. And he puts it outside and lets it freeze. He again dips it into blood and puts it outside and lets it freeze. And he does this until he has quite literally a blood popsicle. And then he will take the knife and he'll stick it in the snow and let it freeze there with the knife sticking out of the ground and in the quiet of the night, when the wolves are prowling around, the very sensitive nose of the wolf will, will find that blood, and he'll begin to start licking that blood. It'll start to melt around his tongue, and he will slowly continue to lick, and as that blood continues to melt, and, and uh, he's in, enjoying it and thinking he has for himself a nice, a nice snack, his tongue is exposed to the cold of the air, and he's unaware that he's been licking this now for a while, and, and before long, the outer shell of that popsicle has been licked away, and now he doesn't even realize it, but he is now drinking his own blood. It will cut the tongue of the wolf. They will come out in the morning and find that wolf laying there by that knife. That's what sin does. That's what this appetite does. You feed it or allow it to go. You say, oh, it's just pondering. It's just thinking. It's okay to look but not touch. That's what the world says. But I say unto thee, it's sin. And we've got to check ourselves. And we've got to admit it for what it is because ultimately it's going to lead to death. So how do we eliminate this sinful action from our hearts? 
He says here in verse number 29 and verse number 30, he says, you got to get serious. He says, and if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not the whole body should be cast into hell. He's saying, listen, ultimately, uh, you'd be better off going through life without an eye than going to hell with one. You've got to get serious about it. You've got to, first of all, we see you've got to control the appetite of the heart. You see, beloved, the discipline in the action of the hand begins with controlling the appetite of the heart. If you've got something there that you're desirous of, he says, hey, you've got to stop that desire. You've got to pluck it out. You have got to find a way to deal with it. Proverbs 27, 20 says, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. This is something we have to know that we are going to deal with in a very distinct and dogmatic way. Do whatever is necessary to remove that temptation. Wearsby said, obviously our Lord is not talking about literal surgery. He's not saying pluck your eyeball out. For this would not solve the problem of the heart. There is a problem in the heart. There's a lust there. There's a desire that's there that he is saying you need to deal with in that kind of importance or that kind of a way. He's not saying literally remove that because that doesn't solve the problem of the heart. The eye and the hand, this is Wearsby continuing here. He says the eye and the hand are usually the culprits when it comes to sexual sin. So one must discipline himself. Jesus says here to deal immediately and deal decisively with that sin. He says, don't taper off, don't wean off, but cut it off. Decide you're going to deal with it and you're going to deal with it now and you're not going to let it continue. You're going to do what you have to do to save your relationship with your father and with your family, whoever it is. Because if you go down this road, you're going to end up destroyed. Don't say, well, oh, I'll start having a little less contact with them. No, if you have a desire in your heart and, and want to be with somebody that you shouldn't be with, you need to cut it off. Cut it off. Don't, don't spend any time with them. And they, they're, you're going to say, well, they aren't going to understand. Who cares? Right. It's not about pleasing them. It's about keeping your marriage together or solving the problems that are in your home and fixing your relationship with your Lord and Savior. Cut it off. We must crucify the flesh. And they that are with Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Cut it off. Not only do we need to stop the desire, but he says here you need to separate yourself from the desire. He says, cast it from thee. Cut it off, cast it from thee. Separate yourself from that desire. Sometimes it's just a matter of getting some common sense and saying, okay, I can't be around that person or I can't be involved in that activity or I can't enjoy that entertainment because I'm drawn away. I'm enticed by that. It, it, it does something for, to me and I can't be there. We are supposed to crucify the flesh. We are to separate from that desire. Cast it off from thee. Paul tells us the very same thing in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down imagination 
and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. We're to mortify the flesh. Colossians 3, 5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil conspicuance, covetousness, which is idolatry. Mortify the flesh. We need to stop feeding it. Stop feeding it. Proverbs 27, 12 says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are destroyed. Punished, sorry. The simple pass on and are punished. Do you see the problem? Do you see the evil? Are, are you aware of it? Are you, will, will you acknowledge it? Will you ask the Holy Spirit to, to take the blinders off? Satan wants to blind you, wants you to think it's okay. Oh, it's not that really big, de- really that big a deal. I just enjoy uh, talking to her. I can, I can talk to her, and, and it's just like I can share with her, and we just have a good friendship. But you enjoy that too much. The prudent man foreseeth the evil. You've got to exercise some wisdom. You've got to cast it off, find a way to stop feeding the flesh. Romans 13, 14, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. You know, beloved, modern television is a constant buffet of sensual passions. It doesn't matter what they're selling, it's sold through sensual means. Every commercial imaginable. And what that does is it desensitizes you to how wicked the world is. You get comfortable with it. Think, oh, it's not that bad. Adulterous relationships not only are promoted, but they're glorified on television shows today. If you aren't careful, you you check yourself the next time you're watching something like that and see if in your own heart you aren't hoping that she gets away from her bum of a husband and goes and has an affair with this guy. Just check what, what, what that show is doing in your heart. How is it changing the way that you're thinking? Are you thinking biblically or are you just thinking with your emotions? They do that on purpose. They promote that filth that's in the world. Christians don't need to be hanging out at the beach. Women don't need to be reading romance novels and stirring up those passions in their hearts. We don't need to be watching programs that promote sinful appetites. We need to stop feeding the flesh. You say, Pastor Caleb, man, this is a, you're, you're really being straight with us or... Whatever I, I don't want Satan to get in, and I don't want to have to be standing in one of your living rooms and trying to pray with you through the destruction that Satan brings because we didn't stop it back here when it was just a thought. When it was just giving place to the devil, when your activity on the internet or your enjoyment of some show or program uh, planted those seeds in your heart and we could have stopped it then and saved your marriage. 
So how do we eliminate that sinful action? Well, you discipline, you control the appetites of your heart. And you also need to establish some good thoughts. We know that this is something I'm not going to spend much time here because we're dealing with that in Sunday school right now, the idea of, of, of mind, having a right mind. We're going to leave that in Sunday school, but I want you to know you've got you to gotta change what you're thinking. Think on good things. Beloved, if bad company corrupts good morals, then good company will establish good morals. So maybe you get, get around some good people. Do those things that you know you should do. Satan will tell you it's not that big a deal to miss church. It's okay. Not really that big of a problem. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. But I say unto you. You see, it was a time when kings went to war. David was not where he was supposed to be. David was not doing what he knew he should be doing. And he was in a place and opened up the opportunity for him to participate in that which would have never been an opportunity had he been where he was supposed to be. And so how do you avoid uh, falling into this or, or being taken up and deceived by this? Well, do what you know you're supposed to do. Be where you know you're supposed to be. Stop letting Satan tell you, well, it's not really that big a deal. I'm just missing this, or I'm not part of that, or I'm not doing this, or whatever. You do what you know God wants you to do. I can tell you the, the man or the woman that fell, if they could have gone back to the day when it was just a thought, they could go back to then and say, boy... I would have stopped it then. You need to set up some boundaries or guardrails in your life. Protect yourself. Watch your friendships. Control your entertainment. Do what you know is right to do. And maintain a right and good relationship with the wife of thy youth. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 and 2 says, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. We know that marriage is a divine institution established by God. You want to avoid getting into an adulterous relationship, maintain a good and right relationship with the wife of thy youth or the husband of thy youth. You know, if some people would put half as much work into their current relationship as they would have to put into an adulterous one, they would find an amazing, uh, refreshing uh, revival in their relationship. That's the fact of it. It's a lot of work to have an adulterous relationship. You got to do double duty for so many things. You got to sneak around. 
you got to try and find a way and, and find time for this and that. It's expensive. You know, if you just take all of that effort and that thought and that energy that you would put into pursuing that sin and pursue your mate, you'd, you'd be having revival in your home. Don't wait for your mate to initiate what needs to happen. You initiate it. You start doing what needs to what you know you need to do to have a right relationship with your weight. Look through your partner's eyes. You guys know men and women are different. We look at things differently. In just about every area of life, our perception and our view and the way we see things is different. But I'm try and look at it through your mate's eyes. We're real good at seeing it our view. We're real good at seeing what we want and how it should be from our perspective. But try and put yourself in your mate's shoes and view it from their perspective as best as you can. God, somebody said this, it wasn't me, but they said, God made us different so that he could make us one. That's by God's design and God's plan. Don't compare your marriage with others. Every marriage is different. Every one of them. You know, I drive a Suburban. My wife drives the Golden Chariot. The Dodge Caravan. But they're both cars. They both get us from point A to point B. Every vehicle is different but it's still a vehicle. What I'm saying is every marriage is different. You, you Don't try and compare. The Bible says they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. If you get into that and you try and look at other people's relationships and say, boy, I wish this was this way or this was that way or, or if my husband was like him, you're going down the wrong road. Make your marriage uniquely special. You say, well, ours is unique, that's for sure. But make it uniquely special. Uniquely special. As I bring this to a conclusion, remember it doesn't matter how the world views it or how much society wants to accept loose living. What does God say? Psalms 24, verses 3 and 4 says, Who shall ascend? unto the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. This thing of adultery is a, is a very serious sin. The Bible says, if you look to lust you've committed adultery in your heart already we need to view it for what it is and ask God to help us to have clean hands and a pure heart so that we can come into his presence I also want to just assure you if you've been there 
if you are today bearing the scars of this sin, I want you to know that God says it's forgivable. In John 8, those men who gathered around Christ and they said, this woman, this woman was taken in adultery. You know, Jesus kneels down and he says, a man without sin casts the first stone. When he looks up, he sees they're all gone. He says, where are thine accusers? And he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I want you to know that God can forgive. That you're not done. That he can restore. If we respond as David did when he was confronted with the prophet Samuel. Confronted with his sin. And he said in Psalms 51, purge me with this up and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that thy bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sin and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. The Bible still says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And God will forgive you. But let me encourage you. Let me challenge the rest of you. If, you have, if you're not there, don't let it get there. Stop it when it's just a thought. Stop it when it's just a look. Stop it when it's just an appetite. Long before it becomes an action that destroys your life.